When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. back to the Neil Haley show on the total celebrity segment. And oh my gosh, I am so excited to welcome the program. Celebrity Al Roker. We all know him from the Today show, best-selling author and everything, author of Extreme Weather book. It's a book for kids. Al, thanks for calling and how are you? I'm doing great, Neil. How are you doing? Fantastic. I wanted to jump really quickly into Al. Did you ever imagine when you started in the um as a journalist, especially in weather, that you would go to where you are today with the Today Show, so many different projects. It must be an amazing journey for you. It really is. I'm. I am. Uh, I am beyond blessed uh, to be able to do this. Uh, you know, it, it's. You know, people. In fact, people have said, "Oh, this must be a dream job for you." And I said, well, no, because I never dreamt that I would be on the Today Show. So, you know, it, it's um, it really is a, uh, a special. I, I still every morning is almost like a pinch me moment. It must be, and and especially from where. Hey, I thought I'm just going to be involved in weather to now. You are involved in everything. You cover so many different events. It's it's something probably you didn't think about when you got into uh, meteorology, right? Oh gosh, no. I mean, look, I've been very lucky in that. Uh, the Today Show gives us the opportunity to each of us to do things outside of our wheelhouse. So I'm not just doing weather. I get to do uh, uh, things that interest me. And uh, one of the things, obviously, that does interest me is weather. <laughs> and and that's given me the opportunity, you know, because you're on the Today Show, to do uh, kind of cool things. So uh, one of them being this this uh, kids book Al Roker's Extreme Weather where where we examine uh, uh all kinds of weather phenomena because I I I run into teachers all the time and they always they all tell me that their number one topic that kids ask about is weather. Yes. So I thought well, you know I I've never written a weather book and I thought this is the audience that I need to reach these kids for sure. And especially now where weather's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, available on everything from your phone to your tablet to the television, explaining it and breaking it down, the science of it is so much fun. And that's what you want to do is explain yeah, this I, to kids. Exactly. And so uh, the, the fun is we take this and we break it down so that they get what we're talking about, but we illustrate it with uh, some amazing pictures uh, and and photographs. And and I think the goal is that if kids understand what causes the weather, while they 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 will respect it and know how to treat it, they won't be afraid of it. Absolutely, and that's that's the important part because again, what we've seen this year with the tragedies from weather you have to explain it to kids that yeah. this is not and, always and happening it, and, it, yeah. and it is scary yeah yeah it's it's look it's scary to kids it's scary to adults and so i thought you know this is uh uh this is one of those things where i think we can do a service for everybody because uh look if if you're a parent of small kids, they're going to be asking you about weather. And if you're like me, you've forgotten half of what you learned in earth science class. So, you know, you, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a good book for everybody. So it's for everybody, but for kids especially. And and you want to connect with teachers. This is because it's your first children's book. I'm sure you're excited about the whole publicity of getting to go into schools and read the book and to really connect with teachers so that they can utilize this as a resource in their classrooms. 
Absolutely, and that's the that's the whole idea. And so, uh, with with any. Uh, with any as anything involving kids, it still has to be interesting. It still has to be kind of have that wow factor. I mean, I I think in a sense, its its DNA is is part of uh, 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 you know the Guinness World Records, you know, and that kids love flipping through that book, and and so I, I'm just really excited about it. It seems like you really are. And give us some highlights of types of weather you're covering in this book. Well, we talk about tornadoes, we talk about snowstorms and blizzards, uh, we talk about hurricanes uh, and, and the different names they go under. Uh, we talk about different cloud formations. We talk about climate change because I oh, think yeah. uh, kids have to be uh, have to know about this. Uh, uh, science is not a dark art. It's not uh, it's not something to be feared. It's something to be used. I mean, and and when you explain to kids that because of science. You know, we have everything we have today. It all started with science. Uh, I think they they come to appreciate it that much more. They definitely appreciate it much more. And I think that you said you want them not to fear weather. How do you explain that so they don't fear the weather? Because, again, it, it, the weather changes our whole mood every day, Al. When we see you on today's show and you uh, tell us it's going to be a really rough day, it's going to be a huge snowstorm or hurricanes are coming or different things, how are you trying to, in the book, explain to people weather's life and you have to deal with it and not to be fear fear it, as you brought up a little bit earlier in the interview? Well, we, we give... Yeah, we give them the inner, the information, and 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 even some tips on dealing with things and safety. But you know, I think once they see it and once they read it, um, you know, it, it's like anything. Uh, once you shine a light on something, uh, you're far less afraid of it. So I think this book, and I think it's a great. It's a it's not a. You know, so much. So many times you hear the term gateway, and it's a negative. Uh, connotation. I think uh, this, in a positive sense, uh, this gateway to uh, the world of science, of STEM, you know, science, technology, engineering, uh, uh, arts, and math. Uh, I think because there is art in in weather. There yes. is when you look at some of these photographs, they're beautiful. They're just beautiful. Absolutely. Okay, so we can pick up the book in all finer bookstores. Uh, where can we find information on you, Al? I know find we can great connect bookstores, to... Amazon, uh, uh, any any place you got you buy good books, you will find this. And then connect with you social media wise. I know you're connected highly on social media. Where can we f- follow you and find you? Where's the best place, Al? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Al Roker, uh, at Al Roker on Instagram, and uh, at, at Al Roker uh, or alroker.com. Well, Al, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it, especially with your busy schedule. It was an honor to have you on the show, and best of luck with this book. And I'll be promoting it big time and letting uh, the schools know about it, too. All right, take care, Al. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Neil. You're welcome. Bye bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program Tom Cavanaugh of CW's The Flash. Tom, thanks for calling. But, Tom, I'm going to tell you I'm a huge fan of Scrubs. I loved you in Scrubs, Tom, and you were just so funny the way you uh, played all those jokes and different things. It was just a, a character that I'm sure you'll never forget, will you, the one when you played in Scrubs? Yeah, Scrubs is one of the all-time... You know, great shows that's been a part of. Like I consider, you know, kind of a head shaker. It's like, oh man, you got a chance to do that. And that was like both from within, you know, the way that show was run and how they treated the cast and the crew, you know, to like how it appeared on the screen, where it was like this, you know, like a very inventive, funny. It's one of the things I love about Scrubs. Like they would make you laugh for 21 minutes, just yeah. laugh uncontrollably, and then in the 23rd and 24th minute, they'd break your heart. Yes. You know, and then in the 25th and 26th moment, they'd make you laugh again. You know, like not every show has the ability to do that. You know, to, a lot of shows can make you laugh, but not not all of them can has that kind of deft writing that also can make you cry. And I think Scrubs is one of those rare things. I'm really, really happy to have been a part of it. And the funny thing, Tom, is you'll live on forever just in on Scrubs because you know it'll constantly be syndicated. It just it just uh, continue to be aired. Yeah, all, I know. It's yeah. like uh, every time you turn on Comedy Central or whatever, there's like there they are again. It's great. 
for sure. Now, this opportunity with CW is The Flash. I mean, again, what's amazing is the superhero shows, how popular they're becoming in this day and age, and especially on the CW. And uh, it must be an unbelievable fan base to be part of, to be on this show. And and hated, I'm sure, as the villain. It's weird, right? It's, 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 uh, for me, personally, it's un- unexpected. You know, as a lot of times, you know, I, I, I don't lose track of the fact that, you know, this is, when you say superhero shows, it, it kind of seemed like, it used to be like, you know, the dominion of big screen because they were just too expensive to do in a small screen. And now in the last seven to ten years, you know, we've had the technological advances that we can actually put these kind of digital effects and all these kind of things on the small screen. They're now economically feasible, whereas they never used to be. And now, you know, to be an actor that, you know, plays the reverse flash in, in the case of the flash and plays an arch enemy, which has existed in the, you know, in the comic book world for decades and decades to be, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, very few actors that gets to put on a super suit and check that box. I think that's a, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that I, I understand that it's a, a massive privilege and it's a rarity, and I, I'm I'm really grateful for it. It's a completely unexpected opportunity, you know. It's not something I ever thought would happen, you know. And just, you know, just just to put on that suit, you know, and be one of one of those guys. It's like. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. I, I'm, I'm sure you are, Tom. It's something that is you live on. I talked about living on in Scrubs. You'll live on as that villain forever, especially because of the comic book. The comic book, and now the books. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Yeah. I never thought it would be that far-reaching thing, but nowadays these people, like you know, they just seem to to know about it. You know, there's like they they have there's these conventions, and people are are well aware of like it's a much 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 far-reaching and bigger world than I, I ever understood. You know, I kind of grew up as a you know a Batman comic book guy and considered myself to be a relatively knowledgeable comic book person until I entered this world and realized I was a complete neophyte. I didn't know anything compared to <laughs> the rest of knowledge that these fans have. You know what I mean? You just guys like, oh, I'm dumb. I didn't know I was that dumb. You know, but that, what's nice about that world is even for someone who's relatively unintelligent about the stuff like I am, and Jesse L. Martin, who plays Joe West on our show, we talk about this all the time. We're like, you know, even though you're staggeringly inept compared to their breadth of knowledge, they're so welcoming. You know, they're they're, they're grateful to have something that, you know, for decades has been their go-to show. They're they're really grateful to have that have a broader scope and to be branded a little bit in a bigger way because, you know, what what's good for comic books in general is good for them and 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 uh, to to watch them be so supportive, it's it's I have to say it's relatively surprising and it's great. It's fantastic. It's something, and that's what I talk about, the fan base. So someday when the show ends, if it ever does because of the fan base, you'll never know. You're going to be at uh, conventions for the rest of your life. You know that, Tom, because they just they just they, yeah. they eat it up. That's that's cool for sure. Yeah, yeah, it really is cool. That's a good word. That's a good way to describe it. It is cool. <laughs> exactly. All right, so let's jump into specifically. You're directing one of the uh, episodes. So what made you go into the directing end of things? And I also know you have a short film. So you're really being the jack of all trades in this business now, it sounds like. Yeah, I like, I mean, you know, as an actor, I think that when you often, for my case anyway, I shouldn't talk for other people, but my case was always like, you know, you, you kind of like, I watched with Grant Gustin, who plays The Flash, you kind of hanker down and do the best job you can for that specific character and try and tell that specific character's story the best you can. But as you as you progress, you kind of like, oh, I don't just have to tell this one person's story. I could tell everybody's story and that's kind of what directing is you know you're you know i'm in the show so i'm telling my story but when i direct it's like okay i'm also going to tell all these other people's story you know with with their help you know and i think that i think that's one of the wonderful things about the directing is you have authorship over a few more of the stories you know and you get to like if you see it a certain way this is your opportunity to to show how you see it. And it's, I I, I love doing it. You know, one of the things about directing is the more, you know, the more you need to know, and it keeps you humble that way, you know, because there's never one right way to tell a story, you know, like your version of how this story gets told is probably very different from mine, you know, and no, not one version is better than the other. And so that's, that's part of the creative process. I, I like that you're trying like, okay, 
what's the best way? How do I see it? You know, like what's uh, what's what's the best way to to tell the story? And then with Tom and Grant, it's very different from like the flashes. You know, it's got heart and spectacle and you know incredible amount of you know like uh, special effects, humor, and action. And Tom and Grant is a very small <laughs> um, R-rated dark <laughs> bank heist movie. <laughs> you know, it's like. And the Flash, the people are generally, I would say, good and and winning. And in Tom and Grant, this is about like these unbelievably dumb guys who, and this is very appealing to me personally. They're, they're really dumb guys who think they're really smart guys. I kind of find that something about the Ricky Gervais, Ricky Gervais in the Office or Steve Carell in the Office, like these guys who are like really dumb, but they think they're really smart <laughs> and they're going to go rob a bank and they're the most inept dudes ever to yes. do that. Like to me, there's something very appealing about it, and it has like car chases and blood. And, Gunfights and heist, and it's just you know it's a it's a these dumb guys are very very different characters from the characters Grant and I play on the Flash, and I think that you know, the people who like the Flash and, and also other people you know will, will, will get a kick out of a kick out of it. It's got music and uh, <laughs> political message and. You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, it's a lot of stuff packed into a very short period of time. It sounds like Tom, your character in Scrubs and Ed kind of combined to, to show like the goofiness yeah. that you were, and now you're making other people look that goofy, right? That's what you did, the practical Joker on Scrubs, and now you're making these other characters be practical Jokers by saying, "Hey, you're too, you're smart, but you can't rob a bank." So that that's awesome. Uh, so again, exactly right. Yeah, exactly. You should be a publicist. That's a good way of putting it. Hey, I, you know, I, 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 that, that's one of my things. I mean, I do, uh, I do social media and branding for companies and different things like that. So I understand about promotion. All right. So oh, Tom, yeah. yeah so it's well, the chase very well there, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom. So again, CW's The Flash is on Tuesdays at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, but also we can find information on you and about your short film and stuff like that. Where's the best place we can go? You know, we have a, a website and we have like the Twitter handle uh, uh, at Tom at Tom and Grant, and both of the news about it is going to be easy, easily followed both on like uh, my Instagram and Twitter handles, which is uh, at Kavanaugh Tom, or Grant Gustin's, which is at Grant Gust. Um, and so I think you know, like those, we're always going to be trumpeting, <laughs> you know, the Tom and Grant, you know, ballyhoo from uh, from those podium so yeah you can you can find us there and we'll uh, keep people abreast of what's happening so i'll run the show one time it's promoting tom and grant and another time promoting the flash so i can so we can hit hit both areas okay sound good tom that's exactly right all right well thanks for calling take care and thanks for coming on the show appreciate it yeah thanks very much thanks for having me on take care all right see ya okay bye-bye you're listening to neil haley's show and we'll be back in just a moment we're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program from The Brave, NBC's The Brave, and Haish. And thanks for calling. And uh, Hi. I know you're excited about this project, and it's really, really interesting when you go into specifically undercover involving military and things like that. That's It's a show that will keep you on the edge of your seat, right? Am I correct, Dan? I mean, to to say the least. Yes, it's 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 hard to listen impossible every week, and and it's so much fun to tell the stories of these human beings in the military who sacrifice their lives for us every single day. And we take our jobs very seriously. We talk about it all the time. Like we aren't these real people, but there are people protecting us every day all over the world. We're an Omega team. We're made up of Delta, SEAL, and CIA, and there are Omega teams all over the world. And I think in seeing this show. What you are opened up to is an exploration of understanding that everyone wants peace. And there are many people all over the world trying to make that happen. And through this show and through the excitement of the show and the, and the drama of the show, you're actually able to see that there are people protecting us every single day. With all of their, with all of their might, they have decided to serve their countries above themselves. It's a very interesting thing to be uh, portraying these people and also understand that this is really what's going on. Well, it's good we know we're being protected, right? And that's the thing about learning about the show and stuff, to really learn the behind the scenes of what yes. can happen and, and that we're being protected. Yes, and also that all countries all over the world are not only protecting themselves, but we're working together. I think sometimes we think that, oh, we're just the United States of America and we're good. No, no, no. Nobody wants walls. Everybody wants peace. And I, I hope that brings peace. 
to us, and I also hope that it, it illuminates the consciousness that says, there are people out, out risking their lives every single day for us that we don't know about. What are we going to do in our own communities? Can we look up from the, our interior selves and say, oh, maybe I want to think about the idea and concept that I'm here to serve others, not only myself. And that's what these teams do, and that's what our military does. And they deserve to have stories told about them so that we understand and embrace that there are people protecting us. Okay, so let's kind of go into your character, Patricia Campbell, and tell us a little about your character. Well, Patricia Campbell is Deputy Director of Defense Intelligence uh, for the United States of America. And I say that with such, I can't even believe that I get to play somebody like that. Um, it was hard enough for me to even learn how to say that. <laughs> um, and then when I thought, oh, gosh, great. I can say that, now maybe I could play it. Um, she runs an Omega team. Omega team is made up of SEAL, Delta, and CIA. The CIA works, uh, the intelligence works through uh, Washington, D.C., and then speaks to her team, led by Mike Vogel, um, 5,000 miles away. And we, are, we have a mission every week. Um, that is trying to take out the bad and fill in with good. So that's that's great. And uh, playing that role, how did you prepare for that role, especially such an amazing role, meaning that that, that t- job title? It's it is it was incredible. I, I I mean, all I do, I feel like I gobble up information. I read more than I possibly could. Our show goes to thirteen countries and thirteen episodes. She holds the encyclopedia of knowledge of the pain in the world. She probably understands more darkness than any human being. And and starting at that point, you know, when you do when you start a character, I I try to go to the deepest deepest part of that character and then build. Up And I remember talking to somebody who was working in the Pentagon next to Condoleezza Rice. And as I started to think of all of this sorrow, like all of when you when you arm yourself with that, when you arm yourself with the facts that she has, I look at this man who stood by Condoleezza Rice and I said, is there anything to smile about? And his answer was no. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, that's <laughs> that's dark. But that's not who Patricia is. Patricia is a person who wants to solve the problems in the world to create peace. And she probably holds the deepest knowledge, but also the most hope. And I love that. There's probably (laughs) nothing more that I've trained for in my life to be able to hold that responsibility of a woman who truly is this in real life. And, of course, I'm not, but I take my job very seriously in trying to represent the people who are so good, who are so intentioned in creating peace, and harmony throughout the world. I love that position, and I feel honored that I got asked to play it. And now, are you, because of learning a lot of this knowledge, are you paying attention more to the news and ways and starting to shake your head even more than the average person because you know what's going on in uh, th- this world of the brave? Oh, you have no idea. I'm like, I, I, I look at things differently. I read differently. I, I, somebody looked at me when I was hearing the New York Times the other day who does work in the Pentagon, they, they laughed at me. Like, oh, my God, you still think that's the truth? I was like, oh, my God, you just, I do. I search in different places than I ever have. I read, I because there's, what we are told is going on, and this is no new, no new news. What we're told going on isn't actually what's going on. And our show really does start to expose, like, this is what's really going on. No. We are one world. We There are teams like this in 136 countries. We're Omega teams. The military is out there fighting for our peace and our survival in our lives every single day, and those stories deserve to be told. All right, so we got to check out The Brave Mondays, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on NBC. Can we connect with you, Anne, on social media as well to learn more about you? Where can we go? Oh, absolutely. Well, sure, absolutely. You can do Instagram. I'm, I'm now newly into Twitter at Anne H., and um, you know, I'm, 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 very, I'm, I'm very thrilled about this show. And I think once anybody tunes into it, they're going to they're going to eat it up like I do because I'm as big a fan of this show as as the fans are. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for calling, and best of luck in all your ventures. We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program the first woman coach in the NFL, Jen Welter, author of Play Big: Lessons in Being Limitless, from the first woman to coach in the NFL. Jen, thanks for calling. How are you? And I know you're enthused about your book being out, aren't you? You're really excited. 
show, absolutely. And I'm so excited to be here this morning. It's great to join you. Absolutely. Let's kind of jump, you know, jump right into specifically enough why the NFL. Explain specifically, I mean, why coaching football? You left a job that was very lucrative to go and go after your passion. Why did you go after that passion in coaching? You know, first of all, I would say, not a, it, it, you know, I didn't go after the passion of coaching to start. Um, I went through the passion of playing. Um, football was this sport to me that was larger than life. I fell in love with it when I was a kid but never had an opportunity to play. So when I made my first football team, it was like, I'm doing this. And I made myself a promise that I would follow the game and step up to whatever challenges it put in my way. Now, I had no idea at that time how big those challenges would be. But I think for any of us, like the secret to happiness and success in life is very simple. And that is being willing to follow your passion and um, go all in for your dreams. And see, that's the important part, as uh, I don't have you on for a long time, is go after your dreams. And your dreams came true. You had success as a coach and then got the opportunity in the NFL. How have the rest of the coaching fraternity responded to you being an NFL coach? What did you think? Did they respond well to you uh, getting this opportunity? Absolutely. You know, and a lot of that goes to, um, you know, and I know you're in Pittsburgh, so you you know how amazing Bruce Arians is. You guys yes, had him there. Yes. Um, we actually lovingly would call uh, the Cardinals when I was there, Steelers West, right? Um, I was there with some of your legends, not only uh, Bruce Arians, but Larry Foote was my coaching mentor. Oh, wow. And okay. I was with him with the inside linebackers. Um, and Footy was, you know, and he figures prominently in my book. And so any of you that um, know and love him as a player, what I'm going to tell you is he was the best kind of mentor you could ever ask because Footy is so Detroit, right? There's no filter. There's no question on what side of the fence he is with you. He will exactly tell you. And he just, was so good to work with. And we were so good in the room with those guys because they had no questions. And um, all of the coaches really took me in. And it was kind of like I had um, a huge family, right? Like some of them were more like my, my big brothers and others were like those wise uncles or even, you know, those guys who would kind of set you straight. And um, they would just look at me and they'd be like, you know, it might be anything from, are you sure you want this coaching life? You know, coaching football is like a life on skates. You never get to get, you never get to get settled, kid. Like you got to be ready to move whenever the job takes <laughs> you. Or you know, um, and so there was so much of like the life lessons from them, and there was not one bit of resistance. I think, you know, the only question they had was not could I do the job, but could we get along? And once they realized that. I could easily fit with them in whatever situation it was or whatever conversation. There was not one hesitation. That's that's tremendous. And I think that this book, everyone needs to pick it up for one reason, especially if they have a girl that has a dream. I think that they definitely, a little girl or a, a friend, that any anyone can make it if, as long as they have a dream. And you are groundbreaking for sure in what you're doing, Jen. And, and it's fa- fabulous. And I'm sure the feedback you get from girls and women about how you've been able to get this opportunity has been phenomenal, hasn't it? The feedback. I, I have a, a publicist that was promoting your book that I work with, uh, Alvina Alston. And Alvina was speaking highly of your praises. It's, it's, it's just tremendous to see these people on media talking about you. And it, it, it's, it's, it must be yeah, a she's dream. amazing. Yeah. And, you know, Alvina, actually, when I met her, she just reached out and she was like, we met at an event and she was like, you're my inspiration. And I just kind of looked at me and I, or at her and I think I said to her, like, do you have me confused with somebody else? <laughs> and she was like, I know. Exactly Alvina's awesome. She's so and great. She yeah, listed, yeah. Yeah. And she listed off everything about me. And I was like, dude, you're a rock star. Like, what is going on? And to me, that's one of the most refreshing things about this is that when we find passion in this world, 
right? It, it is so contagious, and it gives us all permission to go after what it is that we want, and it may have nothing to do with football. Right? Exactly. Like, you may not even know the difference between, you know, a pig, pig skin and a sheepskin or, yeah. a, you know, a touchdown or a home run, right? Exactly. And yet those lessons in life go so much further. All right, so we can pick up your book in all finer bookstores. And where can we follow you, Jen? Everyone can pick it up right now, uh, but where's the best place we can follow you? Yeah, at jwelter47 on Twitter, welter47 on Instagram, Dr. Jen Welter on Facebook, and um, jenwelter.com online. All right. Thanks again for calling. Take care. See ya. Thanks, Bye-bye. guys. See ya. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley show in the Total Celebrity segment, and oh my gosh, when I talk about someone I grew up with watching on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and one of the most famous dances of all the world, and then huge fan of America's Funny Some Videos, so I'm excited to welcome the program, Alfonso Ribeiro, America's Funny Some Videos. Alfonso, thanks for calling. How are you, man? Alfonso, when you think about looking back to the days of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and how that just lives forever, the show, and people will still watch it, it must bring back fond memories, doesn't it? Well, you know, it's wonderful. Uh, they're, they're truly family to me, and, uh, you know, we... we uh, we talk all the time, and I get to see them, and, and uh, it's, it's truly like a family. And uh, there's great memories and great times that we were able to spend together. And, and uh, you know, you can always look back and, and remember it. You know, yeah, it was a long time ago at this point now, but we, we're truly like that family that, that we get to, you know, you, you don't see each other for a while, but you come back together, and, and all of a sudden it's, it's like you, you just left off. So it's, it's, it's wonderful, great memories. Uh, with with uh, with that crew, how did you come up with the dance, Alfonso? Because again, this brought the win again with Dancing with the Stars. How did you come up with that dance? Um, simply, it said in the script, Carlton dances. And so, um, you know, when you're when you're starting a TV show, you're ultimately you're trying to figure out the way your character would do certain things. And so, um, in that case, I the dance was actually created from. Uh, Courtney Cox and Eddie Murphy. Uh, it was Eddie Murphy's white man dance in his Raw video and Courtney Cox in the Bruce Springsteen video, uh, Dancing in the Dark. So, you know, I kind of used those dances as the inspiration as to what I thought this character would do. Now, your opportunity to host America's Funniest Home Videos must be a dream job because you know how many people have watched this show for years and years, just before the days of YouTube, before the days of everything, and just laugh hysterically at the people or the videos they send. And it must be a fun, fun job. It's a, it's a great job. I mean, we, we get to, you know, uh, you know, this show kind of created the viral video, right? Um, and so... Uh, it's very cool that, that even today, this many years later, 28 seasons later, you ultimately get to, you know, continue to create viral videos, right? Like we are, we have these, we have our own, you know, Facebook page and our Facebook page is like 15 million followers. And so people are, you know, ultimately we, we, we create these viral videos week in, week out. It's a great, great thing. Absolutely. And as the competition got more fierce because anyone can shoot video now compared to the days before, I think I'm sure it has. Well, I think that, uh, I think today that there's so much more, right? We have, we have more videos, uh, the amount of videos we have, the, the videos are, 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 well, the, you know, look, funny is funny. So I wouldn't say that they're better videos because they're just funny videos yeah. still. Um, but we, we have a ton more submissions. So, uh, it's great that with the you know everyone having these these phones and um, the ability to to just literally like you could go to the AFB app and send it in you know right off your phone. Um, that's that's the deal. It's it's just so great that 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 people can send and we we get we get a ton of submissions. But you know we are always like keep sending them, keep sending them. We want them all. 
Absolutely. And how about the connections with the fans? You talked about the huge fan base on Facebook. Do you connect social media with them and truly try to get them engaged, especially to watch the show, but also uh, comment on specific videos that are out there and stuff? We do. I mean, I think the show does it more than, than let's say, I would do it. But, um, <laughs> you know, the one thing with social media is you can't be overly anything, right? They want Social yeah. media is supposed to be about your, your life, not your work life, right? So you, <laughs> you, have to, you have to be careful with how much you post. Uh, but we, we post and we do as much as we can, and, and the show's constantly posting, and we um, create uh, a lot of engagement, and so that's a, that's a great thing. And, uh, you know, you're just, you're just trying to remind them because there's so many places that people can go now to, to watch things. And, you know, look, the Internet, uh, if you watch videos on the Internet, <clears throat> it might take you down a really bad road, whereas, you know, if you're watching um, our show, it's, it's going to be a fun, you know, safe way to watch with your family. And the Halloween episode's coming up next, so tell us about this Halloween episode. Well, you know, I always feel like our in, our themed episodes are always, you know, more of the same, right? Dooms, uh, you know, some good fun stuff, but uh, a lot more of the same. Awesome. Fantastic. Where's the best place we can find information on you, Alfonso? Again, everyone needs to tune in 8 p.m. Eastern on Sundays to America's Honeyest Home Videos, but where can we find info on you? Well, obviously, you know, um, you know, you can go on uh, Twitter at Alfonso underscore Ribeiro or Instagram, which is the real Alfonso Ribeiro. So, yeah, you can always find uh, more information on me there and follow me on uh, my social my social uh, platforms. Alfonso, we talked about the social platforms and how crazy they are, right? And you got to live on them, and that's what the marketing companies tell you all the time. But uh, best of luck, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time today. Absolutely. I appreciate this. Thanks. Take care, Al. Back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program from the Moody Blues, John Lodge. John, thanks for calling. How are you? Hi, Neil. Yeah, fine. Thank you. Um, yeah, very good. Thank you. Uh, it's got to be exciting times, right? Especially what's happening with you guys now with the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination. That's got to be really great. Yeah, I mean, out of the blue, you know, I mean, all these years, and uh, to get the nomination, and you when I got the call, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it's a great honor. It took me by surprise completely, but uh, got to thank everyone who, uh, you know, who's been involved, you know, the fans have just been incredible, and, uh, you yeah, know, American Radio has been incredible on our behalf as well. Yeah, because you see your songs continue to live on regardless of when they came out. And that's what's so great about certain genres of music, right, John? Yeah, I, it's just been amazing, you know. Be, um, the, um, You know, by continuing playing live concerts across America, we get to meet a lot of people, you know, obviously. And um, it's just amazing that um, people come up, you know, whatever age, and say, do you know, that song, I know that emotion, that's happened to me, I know exactly what you're talking about. And uh, you've got to be thankful for that. You definitely got to be thankful for it. And I think this day and age with uh, the ability to play music anywhere and people passing to, on music, it's the best thing possible for, especially for your, for, uh, your brand and stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about also the new live album that's going to be released on 1020. Talk about that as well. Yeah, I I did. Um, I released an album called Ten Thousand Light Years Ago, and I wanted to go on tour, and I went on tour in England, and I said I'm from Birmingham um, in England, and I said to my my agent, I really want to finish at Birmingham Town Hall, which is an iconic venue where, growing up, I saw all my American rock and roll heroes when I was really young, people like Eddie Cochran and uh, Gene Vincent and Little Richard, Fats Domino, all these people came over. And But the person who changed my life really musically was Buddy Holly. And um, I, when I was 13, I actually was at Birmingham Town Hall where Buddy Holly and the Crickets were performing. And I was on uh, in the first row of the balcony looking down 
And I said to my agent, I really want to finish the tour there. I want to film it, uh, release it for a DVD. Uh, and with me looking back up at that balcony thinking, yeah, there was a jo young Johnny Lodge up there looking down at Buddy Holly. It seemed to complete the circle for me. Oh, it definitely did. And it's, it's, how does that, that means a lot to you, it sounds like, John, doesn't it? It meant a real. It meant an enormous amount because, you know, at that period of time, um, American um, artists were all iconic. You know, uh, iconic looking and everything else. But Buddy Holly came along, uh, and showed changed everything. I mean, we were playing twelve bars and eight bars and everything else. And uh, but Buddy Holly came along and, and with the type of writing of music. Um, and pure rock and roll, you know. He went from sort of uh, listen to me, that'll be the day, not fade away, and then you end up with it doesn't matter anymore with orchestra, and he sort of showed the light to a lot of English uh, music, British musicians. Uh, but I remember sitting in my bedroom with my acoustic guitar, trying to learn all the chords to everybody Holly song there was, and uh, it was fascinating. And, uh, you know, it it really did help with all... It showed the way, really. It was the beacon. It was the light that sh shone the way to how to write uh, songs. And you're excited about your tour, especially coming to the United States. You toured in Europe, in the U.K., but now touring the United States makes me really excited to be out there yourself as well. That's what. Yeah, I mean, I've never toured in the USA, so I'm really looking forward to it. I'm going to places I've never been before. And um, so, um, you know, when we first came over, obviously we came over and we, we sort of, it was sort of all the major cities and that's it. We missed out on a whole load of areas I'd love to go. And the gypsy and me really wanted to go to a lot of other places. And uh, so I played a lot of concerts I've never played before. I've been to going to places I've never been. So I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, I see the different towns. And what's nice about the United States, and I'm sure also the UK, are those interesting towns that you might have not toured with the Moody Blues, get to learn their places and for people to see up close and personal John Lodge. That's exciting, right? For, for, especially when they see the documentary and all the different things. Say, I can now see him up close and personal on the tour. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what I'm really excited about. You know, we started off at the very beginning, the Moody's, you know, playing to 80 people, 100 people, 150 people, you know, and it was very up close and personal. And um, when you get into, the, obviously, the bigger theatres, the bigger arenas, it becomes, you know, a sea of faces. Uh, but it's really nice to get back and um, perform live, intimate, and get a one-to-one -one with an audience. Absolutely. And then you talk about yourself touring. That, it doesn't stop, does it? There are, uh, There's going to be more Days of Future Past 50th anniversary tour as well, the Moody Blues Today, so .com to find out information. So you have that tour as well. You're really busy right now, John. It's a good thing, right? Yeah, we've had an unbelievable year, you know. I At the beginning of the year, I took my 10,000 Light Years band on the Prog Rock Cruise uh, down to Mexico with Yes and uh, a lot of other bands. And then we did a 30-season tour of the USA during the summer. Uh, now I'm doing my uh, Live from Birmingham uh, album tour. And then January, we've got the Moody Blues Cruise and more concerts across America. They are all celebrating 50 years of Days of Future Past. That's awesome. And uh, how does it feel touring so, for so long with the Moody Blues to be out with them? It's just, it's just great. The memories, right? And um, just tours gone by, right? It was really interesting because, well, we, the, the concert is in two parts. The first part of the concert is songs other than Days of Future Past, you know. So we've put a concert together, an hour concert that's different. To, and then the second half is all of Days of Future Past. And it was really interesting going back to the original recordings of Days of Future Past and listening to it and listening to the chances we took musically and and vocally uh, to see how we did it because it was really important 
to do an exact to get it as exact as possible and not to do sort of a facsimile or a karaoke version of Days of Future Past. We wanted to be totally believable, you know, of what we're doing on stage now. And as soon as you got into it, it sort of transported me back to 1967. It was, it was quite strange. Amazing. I can remember the studio, everything about it, you know, when we, uh, when we really got back into listening to the album as it was. All right, so we can find information on you at johnlodge.com and also the moodybluestoday.com, correct? John, check you yeah, out. Yeah, that's right, yes. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling. Enjoy your U.S. tour and your Moody Blues tour and your albums, and uh, keep on rocking. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Thank you, Neil. Thank you for the support. Thank you to everyone. All right, take care. Thanks. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show, and we'll be back in just we're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program, and it's going to be interesting. This is my favorite show, so I'm sure she's as enthused as I am. Uh, I learned so much from it, and it's, it's so entertaining. Shark Tank guest shark, Sarah Blakely. Sarah, thanks for calling, and I know you are so excited about this opportunity, aren't you? Yes, I am. It was awesome. <laughs> and that's, that's the, the word awesome is perfect to talk about. So why did you want to go on Shark Tank in a different way as a, as a, uh, as a guest shark? Tell us, like, the story of what, reasoning for wanting to do that. Well, um, when I invented Spanx, I started it with $5,000 out of the back of my apartment in Atlanta. I had never taken a business class, wow. and I, I didn't. I didn't know where to go or what to do. And um, so I can relate to these entrepreneurs on Shark Tank. They, they're putting their whole, you know, their whole life savings often into this, and I wanted to be able to be there to support them and potentially invest in them. And I love the fact that the show is teaching America about business and entrepreneurship, and I also like that it's free exposure for these people. I mean, when I, when I started, I had no money to advertise. So an idea or a thought of a television show that would actually put my invention or my product on in front of millions of people is so amazing. And by putting yourself out there in that guest role as one of the guest sharks, and basically you you have empathy for these people because you were in their, the same seat that they were. I think the other sharks in certain ways were, but yours is like this great idea that you just started with no money at all and made it happen. Some of them are successful entrepreneurs and different business ventures that made them who they are today. So you really could you really look at these contestants and say to yourself, they really remind me of myself. I think that's what you're trying to say, Sarah, and why wanting to go on. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because they sat me between Kevin and Mark. So I felt a little bit like fresh bait or fresh meat on the Shark Tank myself. And, you know, I'm very interested in the why someone's doing it. So I asked a lot of questions about why are you doing this? What's the purpose? What do you feel is your purpose? And they would kind of roll their eyes and laugh at me because they'd go straight for the numbers. But I'm someone who you know, invented something that had no outside funding. And I feel like the reason I'm still here 17 years later is because I've stayed so connected to the why and the purpose behind each product that I created. And I tell people, I'm looking for someone who's found the white space and that can tell me why they're different from any other option that's out there. So I often say, sell the problem you're solving, not the product. So if you can sell me the problem you're solving and say, here's the problem, here's the product I invented or the service I invented and the reason why, and then here's why I'm the best option, then I'm all in. See, interesting, because you want to be able to say that's what an entrepreneur needs to look at, Sarah, or even someone that has a business idea. Um, am I so solving a certain problem or solution that's not in the marketplace right now? Or is it differentiating from the right. marketplace. Those are the two areas. And that's what I, I work with certain entrepreneurs yep. and talk to them in specific things. If you can't say either of those things, it's going to be an uphill battle, especially with as many entrepreneurs who fail. So I think that's what you're looking at is, is this a great idea? Is this something in the marketplace has not been out there or is it differentiating in the marketplace? And then you say, okay, and do they have the right plan? Are they willing to work hard for me? And that's the other thing, Sarah, right? 
Yeah. And you know what? At my core, Neil, I'm an inventor. So I'm still inventing. I mean, I started Spanx in 2000 out of my apartment, and I just even invented another product that didn't exist for women, and we launched it a week ago. Wow. And it's yeah. called Arm Tight. And I was interested in creating, like, something that could go on women's arms so that you could wear everything sleeveless year-round. So I solved the problem because I looked in my closet, and I have all these sleeveless dresses and sleeveless shirts that I had to stop wearing come fall or winter. And I was interested, like, okay, tights for women's legs have been around for years and years, but why not tights for our arms? Like, think of the possibilities if I could create a little crop top made out of tights. So when you, you so, so you're not so that's yeah see where my spirit is yeah. that's why I wanted to be on the show <laughs> I love that it celebrates inventors yeah I think that's great but your idea sounds really good for women because again sometimes they don't want to wear a bulky sweater right sometimes they want to you know you can't wear sleeveless stuff all the time this is a a great idea so that you can show off your figure still right Sarah and meaning you're working out different things like that and still not be cold right is that one of the the ideas of that new invention. Sounds like it. Yeah, it's it's literally just coverage for your arms. So yeah. I have sleeveless dresses. I throw on the little black arm tights, and it looks like it's a long sleeve dress. And and you know, women women are. I mean, I just launched it, but women are already going crazy for it because they're seeing that it's filling a void in their closet, and it solves the problem. Now, what do you think of the other sharks? In your opinion, working with them and things like that. You, you said you were you were in between two very in, in, um, impressive people that are very are a little different than you, Sarah, in mindset. Uh, when they're looking at, are they going to say yes or are they going to say no? What did you learn from that experience working working with them for this for this episode coming up Sunday? Um, I mean, Kevin and Mark are all about the deal. They are very numbers-driven. They cut to the chase. They, I thought they both actually gave really good advice. They're tougher on the, the you know, the entrepreneur than Lori or I was. And um, so I, I felt like I learned a lot, actually, just from being on the show because I've been working so hard on Spanx. I'm not out there investing all the time in other businesses like they are. So I'm not a professional investor, but man, did I get a quick trial by fire lesson on valuation and fast, you know, I had to, I had to really talk fast and think fast in order to compete against those other sharks. If the deal was good, I was like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta be on and I gotta be quick because I had two huge sharks on either side of me just barking like, you know, all this information and questions and then spitting out like, I'll do the deal. And I'm like, wait, 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 I'll do the deal too. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Everyone needs to tune in on Sunday for sure to see you. But where can we find information on you, Sarah, learn about your company and all the new projects you have going on? Where can we go? You know what? Spanx.com is awesome. And I always say you have to spell Spanx with an X or you're going to get a real treat. (laughs) (laughs) Do not spell it with a (laughs) K-S. And then also I just joined Instagram not long ago and I put all kinds of entrepreneurial stuff and products and cool things that I'm up to on Instagram. And my handle is at Sarah Blakely and that's Sarah without an H. Well, isn't it interesting, Sarah, last thing about social media and how important it is just to stay connected with your customers and also uh, fans? It's 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 interesting process. You've got to stay on top of it, but it, it's very rewarding to get that quick feedback on things. Don't you agree through social media? Yeah. I totally agree. I love it. I read all my comments. I've enjoyed it. I was one of the last people to join social media, but once I did, I have, you know, I'm putting, I'm a mom of four small children under the age of eight as well. So I put a lot about just trying to be the mother and a working woman and balancing life and, um, and all of that. So I'm, I, I put a lot of just very real stuff on my Instagram, uh, my struggles, my ups, my downs, my all of it. Fantastic, Sarah. Well, thanks for calling. Best of luck on Sunday, and take care. I appreciate it. All right, Neil. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. Neil Haley's show on the Author's Corner segment, and I'm excited to welcome the program. Author of I Can't Breathe, A Killing on Bay Street, Matt Taibbi. Matt, thanks for calling, and another controversial book. You had a book on Trump last year I interviewed you on. You continue to just, as a journalist, say, I'm going to dig deep 
and have the other side not like me too much, for sure, Matt. Isn't that true? <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I think, you know, Neil, in, in this business, if people, if everybody likes you, you're probably not doing the job correctly. So, um, yeah, <laughs> definitely the, the, there are plenty of people who, who are not fans <laughs> at this point. So let's, let's just jump into why you wrote this, this, this uh, book, because, again, there was a lot of tragedies in the last couple of years by police officers not uh, following protocol. Why this one? Why this, the Eric Garner story? Why? Well, I never intended to write this book. What happened was, you know, for those of you who don't remember, Eric Garner was the guy, the big guy on Staten Island who was mm-hmm. choked to death by police. And um, when the grand jury decided not to indict the police officer in the case, um, I, I live not far from where that happened. So I, I drove over to the neighborhood and started talking to people and People just started telling me stories about Eric Garner, the person, um, mm-hmm. and I just found him so interesting and complicated and funny uh, that um, I found myself coming back, just asking more questions about it. And uh, well, I think one of the things that happens in these cases is that people have emotional reactions and opinions yes. about it, but they never really know the people uh, that are involved. And so that's one of the things I tried to do in the story is I tried to get uh, to to tell the, tell his story in a way that people got to know who he was before they reacted really? to what happened. Yeah. Yeah, because you know you know the specific talking points are that he it was not the greatest guy in the world, meaning he was in trouble with the law. He wasn't you know not he was not following protocol. Didn't listen. They wanted to go back to all the different uh, negatives of this man. Anytime there's a police tragedy, I'm not saying I'm not taking the police side before that, that uh, they all go back to let's look at the person. Let's look at what they are. Uh, Let's really dig deep. That's why why the police had to use force. And so you found out that Eric Garner was different than what the media was portraying, especially on one side of the aisle. Yeah, no, de- definitely. The, the the capsule descriptions of Garner were were wrong on a lot of fronts, even from people who thought they were being well-meaning and and supportive of him. Um, he was he was sort of described as a as a small-time, uh, almost homeless character who was selling Lucy cigarettes. Actually, he was he was running a whole crew of cigarette dealers on that street, and he was pretty good at it. Um, uh, he had mules go, going back and forth in cars to Virginia to buy to buy cartons. I mean, he was he was a sophisticated businessman. That's true on the one hand. On the other hand, he wasn't selling cigarettes that day, and I I can say that for an absolute fact. I spoke to basically everybody who was on the street that day, and wow. I can I know I know minute to minute what he was doing. And um, he was he was not feeling well that day. He and he came out of a bathroom, broke up a fight, leaned up against the wall, out of breath, and that's when the police stopped him. So that's part of the subtext of this whole incident is that he can't believe that he's being arrested on the one day when he's not actually doing anything wrong. Um, wow! And that was yeah. an, uh, an irony of this case that most people don't know. And so, and then people would like to point saying, "Oh, this is drugs. No, this is cigarettes. This was again." Many people do this, Matt. They do it as scalpers. Are we going to go and say that they're mastermind criminals when you see guys on the street selling scalp tickets? It's the same almost type of situation that cigarettes are so expensive in New York City, getting them from somewhere else and then selling them on the black market is an entrepreneurial thing, even though it's not legal. It's not like he was killing anybody, right? That's the point. It was a... Yeah, before. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He he, and 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 in fact, Garner had in in his youth he had been a crack dealer. He had been involved in in hardcore drug dealing, but he was terrible at it. He he was he was not a good hardcore criminal. Uh, it just didn't fit his character. And when when the opportunity to sell untaxed cigarettes came along, that's when this entrepreneurial thing in him kicked into overdrive. He, he, he actually enjoyed that um, because it was, 
it, it, it was it fit his character much more. And as you say, um, it wasn't a serious crime in New York City. It's barely even a misdemeanor what he was doing, uh, and he loved that aspect of it too. He he used to say that it was felony money, misdemeanor time. Uh, and he thought he had sort of hit the, hit the jackpot because because of the high taxes on cigarettes in New York City, uh, it had created the job market for people like him. And um, but you know, at the end, these policing strategies that targeted minor criminals made him sort of publicly enemy number one in that neighborhood, and that's why he had so much contact with police. Uh, oh wow! And then in the book, I'm sure you described how he got killed and. The different mm-hmm. uh, different people who um, observed this and saw this happen, and uh, were there new and that's where people definitely need to pick up the book. But I think to learn about Eric Garner is an important part. But really, uh, what he did, I mean, what how the police handled this was just absolutely wrong. I mean, I, anyone could see it's a no brainer. But he looks like he was resisting arrest, and that's the only thing that could say, hey, Eric did the wrong thing. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.